real quick before we dive into this episode of the podcast. Be sure to grab your free PDF copies of my latest books at frugal.show forward slash free. Now on to the show. Did you know that creating an income online or adding a new revenue stream to your business has never been easier? Have you ever considered taking your knowledge, skills, and expertise and converting it into a course that you can sell online? Introducing Learn Worlds. Learn Worlds makes it easy to create, host, and sell beautiful online courses that have an impact. With Learn Worlds' intuitive platform and a wealth of resources to educate yourself, you're only a few steps away from building a thriving online business in the booming knowledge economy. Visit trylearnworlds.com forward slash free to start your 30-day free trial. Welcome to the Frugalpreneur Podcast. I am your host, Sarah St. John, and my guest today helps transform speakers, experts, and authors into sought-after podcast guests who speak their way to six figures and beyond. Welcome to the show, Nancy Jutton. Thanks, Sarah. It's so good to be here. I, I, I nailed your last name. I wasn't sure if I would remember how to pronounce it, but I did it. Bravo. Can you give us a little bit of your background and history? I came out of the womb with a pen in one hand and a dictionary in the other. I think I was always a word girl from the, the moment I hit the planet. I ended up being an editor of my high school newspaper and being someone who knew how to turn a phrase and write a headline and create a sassy soundbite. These were just skills that I had. So it was no surprise that I discovered that I might have a really good career in public relations. And my earliest career was in marketing and public relations, helping to make important people look big in the media while I was the gal behind the curtain making it all happen. And I think what ended up happening for me is that I was accomplishing such magnificent things for my paying clients that I started to feel a little bit of publicity envy. And my real come to Jesus moment was when I did a Google search for my own name. And the only thing that came up was that I ran 10K races really slowly. Whatever expertise I had was a big mystery to anyone who would be looking for me. And so I thought to myself, if I'm that good at publicity and amplifying the expertise of clients that wisely invest in my services, perhaps I better put the shoes on and practice my own medicine. So now if you Google my name, you'll find that I'm very well known for being the author of the Bye Bye Boring Bio workbook. I'm very well known for all the podcast guest spots that I do to teach people how to get media ready, media savvy, and on message to deliver their brilliance without leaving their home. And I have a full suite of services, products, programs, and events that people invest into to get the benefit. So from very humble beginnings, I've turned it all into a thriving business that I can enjoy and work from the comfort of my home with that dog at my feet. It's been quite a journey over the last 20 years. I love that title, Bye Bye Boring Bio. I really like alliteration, and so I love that. Thank you for saying that. And the thing about the name is in marketing, you need to be a solution to a problem that's deeply felt by a specific group of people in the world who would actually part with their money to have the solution. And what I discovered early on when I was inspired to write this book is that a lot of people struggle 
describing who they are, what they do, who they do it for in such a way that people actually will be interested. And when I created systems and templates and ways for people to slay that problem, and I brought this workbook to market, it actually started selling to the point that we could pay the mortgage with what I was earning from book sales. And right around 2008, when the economy fell apart, we moved into a new home. We couldn't sell the home. We left. And my PR firm helped fell on very hard times because of the Great Recession. And it was a dare from a friend. I was sitting there pulling my hair out. I'm thinking, what am I going to do to bring in the bacon in this difficult time? And she said, I dare you to write a book about how to write brilliant bios for client attraction. And I said, are you daring me? She says, I am daring you. And so I pulled out the pen. I got to work. I wrote this book. And three weeks later, I was delivering a workshop for a group of aspiring publicity seekers. And I was looking into their blank expression and thinking, these people don't want to learn about publicity. These people want to learn how to attract clients. So I'd had the foresight to bring this very modest spiral bound draft copy of my new workbook to the event. And I said, boy, let's make a deal. I will give you a copy of this brilliant new work under one condition. You will read it. You will write a bio that stops traffic. You will get busy attracting a client and you will send me a success story as soon as possible. And they said, I'm in. And 10 days later, I got love notes from everyone. And many of them said that the bio that they had written with my formula actually helped them attract a client. So I developed champions for life with just the foresight of saying, I will give this to you under one condition. And then I came home and I said to myself, maybe this workbook could be useful to people beyond my own backyard. And what I ended up doing, and this was like 10 years ago, I had a newsletter list with like 1,085 names on it, which is not a big list. And I wrote an email in my constant contact. I said, are you struggling attracting clients in this difficult economy? Would you like a tool to help you describe what you do and how you do it so you can get on with your life? Great news. I've written a book that solves that problem. Click here to go buy it. And I hit send and I made a little prayer. And then when I came back from my dog walk, I couldn't believe my eyes because there was you have an order, you have an order, you have an order, you have an order. It was enough to pay the mortgage. And I say to my husband, look what just happened. And he says, what am I looking at? I said, it's money in the shopping cart. He said, well, I don't know how you pulled that off, but can you do it again? <laughs> I've been doing that again and again and again. Amen. And earning oh, fans wow. and followers around the world. It's been very rewarding. That's awesome. Thank you. So I'm curious about the transforming a boring bio to attract clients without giving away all your secrets that are in the workbook. What can you tell us about what kind of things do we need to keep an eye out for or keep in mind when we're writing a bio? Well, not all, you know, you know that expression, one size does not fit all. You've probably heard that expression. If you go to the one size fits all rack at a clothing store, you will have clothing on your back, but you won't look slim, sexy, and sophisticated. You'll just look like you've got clothes on your back. So one of the big ideas that I advance for everyone who wants to have a brilliant bio is first consider what do you want your bio to do for you? Because not all bios are suitable for all situations. There's a client attracting bio. There's a bio you use to invite media attention. There's a bio you use to attract speaking gigs. They're not all the same. What you put on LinkedIn is not the same as what you put in your bio on Facebook. 
is not the same as what you would put on Twitter. They all have different word requirements, sometimes character requirements. And sometimes people forget if they don't put their objective first, they may end up missing the boat entirely. So for example, if you would like to be a podcast guest, suggest to a host a subject matter that would be a juicy conversation that that host would want to have and qualify yourself as someone who has the juice and the credentials and the wow factor to carry that conversation. That is a much different outcome that you're asking for than if you're trying to do a client attracting bio, which would be something like Sarah St. John works with side hustlers and aspiring entrepreneurs to create multiple streams of revenue from their own home. Mm -hmm. Since this year, she has touched and transformed the lives of thousands of entrepreneurs who are singing her praises because they now are living the life uncommon at the feet of her wisdom. Something like that. But it's like, wow, I want what they're having. Maybe Sarah St. John can help me. So you want to think about what you want the outcome to be from your bio and write it in such a way that you will get what you ask for. And the other thing that's a big mistake that people make is they tell you everything they've ever done in their life, whether or not it's relevant to what they're there to do. And I'm sure you've probably read, well, I should ask you this. Have you ever gotten a pitch to be on your show and had your head shaking? No, 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 this is not a fit. I won't commit. Has that ever happened to you? <laughs> yeah, a few times. I, I like that. It, that's, it's not a fit. I won't commit. That sounds like a... Well, it was from the O.J. Simpson trial. It was like, it's, I'm adapting oh. it from that. But it's like, uh -huh. sometimes people say, hey, let's do an interview. And they don't give you anything as the decision maker to say, why would I want to have you on the show? Your job as a potential guest is to say, I've got a really compelling rags to riches story that demonstrates that you don't have to start a business with a big bankroll to ultimately create a multiple six-figure revenue stream. I'd love to share that story on your show. It seems like it's right on the money for what the frugalpreneur is all about. That's a nice way to make an approach because then at least demonstrates to you, the decision maker, that someone's actually watched or listened to the show to know what it's about. So those are a couple of tips. Yeah, I actually got an email today, matter of fact, and the first line was, I love your podcast, and then such and such after. And at first, I was like, oh, that's nice. But then I started thinking, have they really listened to it? Because they didn't give me any kind of specifics. Uh, so usually, you should say a particular episode. I loved your interview with so-and-so about this. This happens to me all the time, too, because I have a YouTube channel, and people will reach out and say, let's do an interview swap. And I'm thinking... I don't want to just do an interview swap with anybody. I want to do an interview swap with someone who's awesome, who's got something to share that contributes to the learn more, earn more conversation that would potentially allow my own star to rise a little bit higher because I got the opportunity to chat with that rock star. And so it's just someone saying, can I be on your show? Won't you do me a favor? No, no. They believe and behave as if your work deserves a much wider audience. And when you approach a host, do the host the honor of listening or watching, posting a five-star review, subscribing, doing some of the things that the host deeply values, because then it seems like good karma and reciprocity often kick in and the host will remember that wonderful five-star review. And when you remind the host that you posted a five-star review and it wasn't just, I loved your podcast, but it was, 
I really love the riveting questions you asked Pat Flynn about how to create super fans. And I have become a super fan myself. That's one of the reasons I wanted to reach out to you today because of mm. that's so much more of a warm human being way of reaching out to a person of influence who has the power to bring you on their platform or not. Mm. If you're just coming to the show to schlep your book, do you think the host is going to know that? The host's job is not to schlep your book. The host's job is to have a great conversation from which the audience will get great value. And if it turns out that you get to mention your book, awesome sauce. But it's all <laughs> about having a juicy conversation that will be of value to people who are listening. Yeah, those are good points. Thank you. You had kind of said in passing about like a rags to riches story. And I know before we started recording, you had mentioned that you kind of have a story there. And I'd love to hear that. Well, don't we all have humble beginnings? I used to own a public relations agency where I was, my job it was, was to make my clients get seen, heard and celebrated and ultimately compensated. And I loved doing that. But during the Great Recession, the whole thing fell apart in a weekend, it seemed. And I needed to make money instantaneously to be able to make the mortgage. And so a friend dared me to write this book. And I wrote this book and it brought home the bacon at the precise time that we needed to bring it home. And, and I think that you know, sometimes you're getting whispers from the marketplace that Maybe what you're doing now is not going to be sustainable or you don't want to do it indefinitely and you need to find something else to do to allow yourself to succeed. And that dare from a friend saying you're so good at writing bios and helping people feel great about who they are on paper. I think you should write a book about it. And I did. And I'm so glad that I did because in the intervening years, I have created products, programs, and services that allow people to not only make their bios brilliant, but broadcast their brilliance on podcasts and broadcasts and other stages, and also raise their voice and make their impact in other ways. And each of these programs, it's like an ascension model where there's different tuitions as you move up the food chain. And I created this amazing business for my own home office. And I think that the hardest part, and this is the most vulnerable part of that story, is if you've been living in the same neighborhood for 20 years and you know all your neighbors, I mean, we moved up the hill to a view home and we couldn't sell the home we left. And my greatest fear was the fear of embarrassment that we would have to put the house for sale as soon as we moved in because we couldn't make the mortgage. I just can't abide by that. I have got to find a new gear. I've got to find a way to create something of lasting value that's going to make a big difference that people are willing to pay for. And Bye Bye Boring Bio was my answer. And the rest mm -hmm. is history. So I've done three editions of this book. The most recent one was in September of 2020, when I completely redid it to support speakers, experts and authors that needed to speak up virtually in the pandemic and still have ultimate control over their upside. And that was my rebirth, if you will. I mean, I was not going to let the COVID-19 take me out. So I got busy and I created a new tool that I could be very proud of. And what do you know, it became an Amazon number one bestseller last July 4th. And it's just been cooking with gas since then. And so I'm, I'm just very grateful because you can be derailed from your prosperity by things that are outside of your own control. But how you respond to those situations is when you show your true mettle. And I'm still here and I'm doing a great thing for people and I feel good about what I'm contributing and I'm making money and making a difference and making friends along the way. And I love that your friend pointed out 
something that you're good at and encouraged you to to do something with that because I think a lot of times we ultimately make the most difference or make the most money with or whatever is something that someone else outside of us recognizes that we're good at and tells us we're good at because I I feel like for me that's been the situation with me is you can try this that and the other thing but if it's something you're not passionate about good at it needs to be something that someone else has told you that you're good at or recognized well you know something since you brought that up is sometimes don't we discount the thing that comes most naturally to us like whatever it is like oh I'm so that's just natural for me it's like brushing my teeth or combing my hair but when you look at it it's like People struggle describing who they are, what they do, and how they do it. And I've always been very gifted at that. And I, for the longest time, I just discounted it, right? Mm -hmm. But then when I'd go to a networking event and I'd see people struggling with their elevator speech or see people obsessing for hours about trying to explain who they are, and I'd say, are you open to some ideas around that? I'd ask a couple questions and I'd say, let's pull from air something a little bit different. How does this sound? And then it would be like music from the gods. They'd say, how did you do that? Can I record what you just said? And I think that some of us have an unconscious competence that we are inclined to discount. And then you get hit over the head with it and you realize this is something that people need, that people want, that they're willing to invest to a degree to get the problem solved. And if working with me in whatever way that is opens the door to a larger conversation, well, there's a whole lot more power under the tent over here. Messaging, media savvy, being prepared for opportunity. These are all things that are just natural to me. But for a lot of people, it's something that's a gap that needs to be bridged and I can help them with that. So own your quirks, own what's naturally your gift to give. And if you get enough validation around it, you could probably build a business around it because there are riches and niches. We've heard that a million times before. There are riches and niches. So, And I'll tell you something else too. I had a coach I paid a lot of money to work with and he says to me, why are you thinking so small? Why are you only focusing on that one problem? And I said, because this is a serious problem that's stopping a lot of people from stepping up and I have something to offer to solve it. And I feel like that's my gift to give. So I want to pound the drum and beat the pavement and see what I can do with it. Go ahead, Google, bye bye boring bio. You're going to see me over the last 10 years with variety of different hairstyles saying a lot of the same kinds of things, but I've got staying power and I'm very well known for it. And people are happy to work with me to get that problem solved and others too. So yeah, that's a good point that we assume that everything that we know or that we're good at, that everybody must be good at that or know how to do that thing. But then you come to find that people don't and they're willing to pay you to help them with that thing. You can skin the cat. You can deliver a workshop. You can sell a book. You can do a mastermind around it. You can do a webinar around it. I mean, there's so many different avenues to demonstrate one's expertise around whatever it is that we do. And that's also very empowering. It's very empowering. Yeah. Since you mentioned all those, how does one decide what type of thing to do? Like the webinar, the workshop, the mastermind, the event, whatever, because you can't really probably do it all, at least not initially. You kind of probably need to focus on one thing at a time or something. So how does one decide which thing to go for? Since I've been in business for 20 years and I've made as many mistakes as I've had successes, the wisdom of my experience would tell 
you that if you have a choice between having a low-end product and a premium transformational offer, find the courage to step into that premium high-value offer as soon as possible because you can make a bigger difference for clients that are seriously invested in their success and you can also make a decent living doing that. When you lead with a low-end product, it's a very long road to riches. Most people that I talk to in my mentorship practice want to earn 10000 or more per month. Well, there are people around the world that are gladly investing ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 in mentorship. If you have the ability to mentor people at a very high level on a private basis, develop a program you're so proud of that you would have paid three times the tuition to benefit from, stand in and on that offer with conviction and confidence and start getting visible to showcase why that is the thing that you want to stand in and on. Because 10 clients at $10,000 is $100,000 and you can divide your brain and your heart into 10 different slices and serve 10 amazing people and do very, very well. 10 people buying your $97 product doesn't hardly pay the rent. So think bigger at the start, own the value that you bring and put enough juice into the offering that you yourself would invest three times the price. And when I figured that out, things started really cooking with gas for me in my business because I had a private mentoring program that I charged thousands of dollars for people to enroll into and get great results from. And when I believed in what it was that I was offering and I wrote a description of it that felt really juicy and delicious to me, when I started talking about it, Wherever I would go, people would say, that sounds like something I'd like to do. How do I get involved? And I'd much rather enroll a five or $10,000 client into something that I'm really brilliant at delivering than one at the very low end. So that would be my rather short answer to a very simple question. Like go premium if you can and own the value and care enough about the client to ensure that they get the value that they came for and a whole lot more. That's my advice. Yeah, because I think people might spend so much time like creating a, a product or something that's like a one-time fee. Or, but if you can create something that is maybe even a recurring, yeah, a for thing. sure. Because you know what else? I mean, let's face facts. We must always be building our audience. We must always be growing our list. We must always be delivering content to compel people to listen to what next we have to say. Whatever it is that we're bringing to market, there's a lot of work involved. And when someone told me, you know, 10 or 20 years ago, it takes just as much effort to sell a low-end product as a high-end product, where I took that at that moment was, I think I just want to get really good at what's required to sell anything, and then I'll worry about selling something expensive later. If I had it to do over again, I wouldn't have done it that way. I can't cry in my beer for the absence of order that I did not pay attention to along my own journey. But I, if anyone's listening to this, go premium sooner. You will not be disappointed and just own your value and you'll have a much faster path to the cash mm -hmm. and to the life that you want. Those are good points. And then I know that you talk a lot about getting booked on live or virtual stages, even if someone doesn't know your name. What are some strategies for that to, to get booked on stages if you're not some well-known person? I'm a big fan of being ready for opportunity before it knocks. And so I want to start with a couple of big ideas that might seem a little uncommon in this conversation. One is to believe and behave as if the most important person is going to call you tomorrow. Because if you believe and behave as if that's going to happen, your behavior has to rise up to match your intention. 
which means that you're going to have a media one sheet well prepared that showcases who you are, what you talk about, what qualifies you as an expert in this area and how you can get booked. That means you are going to be ready to pinch hit in a moment. It often happens that with the local e-women network or the rotary or the chamber, I had this happen one time with national public radio. I'm on a beach in San Diego. I'm taking a day off. I'm drinking my iced tea. I've got my Oprah magazine over here and my Brene Brown book over there. I'm thinking I'm going to have some moments of Calgon take me away. And what ended up happening is National Public Radio called me on my phone. National Public Radio. And I say, hi, it's Nancy Judden. How can I help you? National Public Radio. We have a guest that canceled at the 11th hour. We did a Google search and found you. We have an opportunity for you to be on the show tomorrow at 9 a.m. talking about how to get known as the expert you are. Are you available and interested? National Public Radio. I sat up in my chair in my bathing suit and said, I'm honored to be asked. I'd be delighted to accept. And within the next two minutes, you will have my short bio, the interview questions I most like to be asked, an image of my headshot, an image of my book cover, What else can I do to make this an exceptional experience for you as the producer and for your national audience? And then there was this long pause, and then she laughed, and she said, please teach the world to do what you just did, because I believe and behave as if an important person was going to call me tomorrow, and I was ready to go. I have leapt over other people with much bigger names because I aimed to be the host's favorite guest. I aimed to be a delight to work with in every way. I aimed to serve that host's desire to have five-star reviews, juicy reviews, subscribers. When I do a show and I do a nice job and the host says that was great, I repurpose that show in every way that I can through my newsletter, through my Facebook group, through my social media, because the rising tide lifts all the boats. If you do these above and beyond the call things that seem uncommon, you will be uncommon. And you will be the one they remember as the pleasure to work with, the favorite, the one that delivered exceptional value, the one that went the extra mile. It's never lonely out there. So those are some of the things that I've done. I'm not famous, but I get booked again and again, amen, because of these softer side of Sears behaviors that turn heads and have hosts saying, wow, you really know what to do. If I can teach everyone else to know what to do, hosts are going to have better choices. Shows are going to get better. Conversations are going to be juicier. The whole rising tide is going to lift all the boats, and that will be something to be really happy about. Yeah, I can't imagine getting a call from NPR, really, any publication like that. I can't imagine, like Sarah St. John, I'm just asking you. You had Pat Flynn on your show. That's kind Mm -hmm. of hot. So let me just ask you this. When you were interviewing him, did you feel that your cool quotient took a couple of shots up the up the line because you were talking to someone like that? Yeah, definitely. And did it cause you to want to be even more prepared and even more awesome than you normally are because of the magnitude of the star power that was coming to your program? Yeah, See, definitely. See, that's what happens for me when I have someone on my show who's 10 or layers ahead of success beyond what I have achieved. It causes me to raise my bar for my own performance to a higher level. And when you get to interview someone that's super cool, what you don't count on, which is the super most wonderful thing about it, is the person that you you interviewed, they probably had the same awesome experience that you did, 
And they're likely going to share it out with the people they hang out with, which means that people are going to listen to your show. They're going to subscribe. They're going to post more reviews. And what do you know? People will come out of the woodwork that are at his level saying, hey, I'd like to be on your show. And won't that be great? I just think that there's a real cool exchange of energy that happens when people rise up to the level of the people that they really want to have on their show even before they're ready to have them on the show right yeah and it can snowball too like so-and-so might know so-and-so and just having certain people on your show you can then use that as i guess i don't know if leverage is the right word but you know when you're trying to get maybe someone even bigger on your show or at least on the same level you could say i've had pat flynn or whoever it might be yeah go start uh, with three superstars get three superstars on your show that have names that people would know And then what do you know, your own star starts to rise a little bit higher. Your own skills as an interviewer rise a little bit higher. Your own conversation elevates a little bit higher. And then maybe at some point you won't be the frugalpreneur podcast anymore because you're going to be having a whole different conversation. Who knows what it's going to, what's going to happen as you grow into this and it turns into something that has a life all of its own. Do you have any recommendations for like getting into, let's say entrepreneur magazine or fast company or any ink, any of those types of things? Well, a couple of ideas. There's a service called helpareporterout.com helpareporter.com. It's free and you can subscribe just by making a request. But if you subscribe to help a reporter every day, you'll get queries in your inbox from media outlets, such as Forbes, Inc., the Wall Street Journal. And if they're right for your expertise, you can simply respond to the query. And I'll tell you, this is a fun story. I did public relations for Seattle Chocolate Company. And I had my first meeting with the CEO. And I said, what does a win look like for you? She said, I want Oprah Magazine. I want the Wall Street Journal. And I want one other really big placement. And I said, way to aim high. Are there any regional publications that would be acceptable? And she gave me a few things to consider. And I said, okay, I know where the bar is. I know what we need to do. Brand new assignment for me. Harrow came across my desk the next day. I've been a subscriber for a long time. And it said, we're looking for companies that have found a way to round out their seasonality in their product line and create revenue all year long. If you are a part of a company that has done that, we want to hear from you. So I wrote back to this query and it didn't say that it was the Wall Street Journal, but it was the Wall Street Journal. (laughs) And I basically wrote back and I said, my client, Seattle Chocolate Company, used to sell their products seasonally, but now they've created tourist, they've created this, they've created that, they've created the other. And now instead of rock roller coaster revenue, they have happy abundant revenue year in, year out. I think they'd be a fabulous company to feature in your article. Same day, Wall Street Journal, brilliant pitch, put me in touch with your CEO. So within a week, I get her in the Wall Street Journal. The very next week, I'm. it's like the reticular activating system at work, and she wants Oprah, and I see this query come across Harrow. And it says, we're looking for companies that have made a commitment to give back to causes that they care about. And we're assembling items that give back to a cause. If you have such a story, let us hear from you. I wrote back. My client, Seattle Chocolate Company, has a very 
keen interest in doing what she can to do the best she can for breast cancer because it's part of her family's history and she wants somewhere there to be a cure for breast cancer during her lifetime for her benefit, for her sister's benefit, and for her daughter's benefit. And that's why she created the Seattle Chocolate Company Breast Cancer Bar, and this is what it does, and this is how it does it, right? I didn't know what magazine it was, but I sent off the pitch the very next day at like three o'clock in the afternoon. Hi, I am a uh, producer at Oprah Magazine, and we're doing our favorite things for breast cancer. And it looks like you've got a story that could be perfect for our feature. How quickly can you get us the chocolate so Oprah can taste it and make sure it meets her high standards? It was a Harold query. I thought, how the heck am I going to get chocolate to New York City in this short window of time? And I end up getting the list of where the chocolates are sold in New York. I find a, a liquor store near the production studio. They have it. I hire a messenger to get the chocolate from the, the store to Oprah. And bam, she was in Oprah's favorite things for <laughs> breast cancer. It all happened oh. because of a Harrow query that came across my desk. So if you, whoever's listening, you want to be in these magazines, you want to be in these top media outlets, get really clear about which ones they are and what kind of a story you have that could possibly fit and then start paying attention. And then when you see something that says, must hear from you by this date, beat the deadline and be brilliant in your approach because that is what's required. And I have done this for myself time and time again. I've done it for clients time and time again. It's like when you get clear about what you want, you go get it. And that's mm. how it's done. Wow. Those are awesome stories. I imagine she hired you again and again after that. We worked problem. together for a good long time. And I ran into her not long ago when she was in my hometown. And we ran into each other quite randomly at a, a cute little boutique. And it was like hugs and kisses. So nice to see you. And, and that's kind of the way I roll. I mean, I think that you should give the very best that you can to every client so that when the engagement is complete, you feel like you're still friends for life. And I really appreciate that about the relationships I've created in my business over these 20 years. Yeah. And I'm familiar with Harrow. I haven't, I think I did sign up, but uh, a long time ago, back when I had a travel agency, that's a whole other story. But so I think the alerts that I get have to do with that. So I need to go back in and change my preferences. So when people are in certain media outlets like that, well, obviously then on your website, you can put the little logo as seen in or featured in or whatever, and use that when you're pitching someone to maybe be on their podcast or to speak on a stage or something like that. Have you found that when people have been in certain media outlets like that, that it really has increased their visibility. Their yeah. And their business, of course. Well, uh, yes, I have. And I think the key is to be strategic. If you're going to be in the media, be clear about what you want to be known for so that you can get paid for it. Sometimes people want to be in the media because they just want to be on the Dr. Phil show and have that experience. But if being on the Dr. Phil show to talk about your crazy hair and how it has stood in the way of you being able to get your perfect job is not at all relevant to your healing company that heals people's emotional wounds, don't do it. Make sure that the words and the music match. In today's world, especially right now, as we do this broadcast in 2021, we've got a hybrid world out there where we're so much of us are doing business virtually. So many live events have gone virtual and podcast guesting 
and podcasts have exploded. There are so many podcasts that want to hear from people with different expertise. I was on a podcast a couple of weeks ago. There were only 68 subscribers on this podcast and there were some there was an actually live audience on the show, which was very uncommon. But three people on that podcast decided to become clients of mine after listening to me share content over a 30-minute window. All three of them said, I'm amazed at the value. I'm attracted to the way you deliver your message. Could we get on the call? All three of them said, I want to do business with you. How can I start? To me, that is incredibly efficient, incredibly intoxicating. And for people who are interested in that, the beautiful thing about being on a podcast is you're not selling, you're sharing a story, you're having a conversation. But if people like the stories you tell and they like the expertise that you demonstrate and they think that your vibe is right for them, they just got to experience what you're really like without having to do a sales call. But when people do get on a sales call, they've already experienced you to know that you're the right vibe for what they need and you've got this expertise to solve a problem. Your sales calls are going to be much more fruitful and people are going to be all in at hello because they're not wondering what are they going to get. That to me is the cool thing about podcast guesting. One of the great things, because the other thing is, is I'm sure people have had the experience of people kicking tires and getting on the phone and not being able to make a decision. But if you did a deep dive interview about whatever your expertise is, and someone says, you know, I'm not quite ready to make a decision. I think I need more information. You can share the link to your most prestigious podcast where you talked about that in great detail as a follow-up gesture. And if they liked the way you approached it, it just might be what is needed for them to go from not trusting and believing and respecting you to feeling like they could be all in at hello. So there's many, many ways to repurpose your podcast guest performances so that they can hasten the path from prospect to client. And if you could get one new client from every perfect podcast performance and you did 40 shows this year, multiply 40 shows this year to your average value of a client and you do the math and you ask yourself, would that be a welcome outcome? And would that be fun for me? Would that be in my wheelhouse to do? And am I ready to go all in and make podcast guesting my number one favorite visibility strategy? When you get to that, go from a dabbler to a doer who makes it happen, you rise up to meet that challenge. And what do you know? You make it happen. So obviously I'm quite enthusiastic about it. And clients of mine are having the same kinds of success and I just want there to be more of it. Yeah, I think podcast guesting, whether you have your own podcast or not, I think people should be podcast guesting at least. Some people might have a podcast and think, well, why do I need to guess on other podcasts? But then the whole point is that you're getting exposure to that person's audience and people get to know, like, and trust you. Like you said, you get, you might get a client out of it. And I, I, I feel like podcast guesting is really, I don't know, maybe I'm biased, but I feel like it's the best way to, to reach reach people these days. I agree. You're just preaching to the same choir. <laughs> but I, I want to say a couple more things about that, which is I think all the data suggests that people who listen to podcasts care about learning more and earning more, which means mm. that they have more discretion to invest in their success, which is good for any service provider. The other thing that's really great about podcasts is that they live on indefinitely in a Google search. And if you Google your name on podcasts, you'll find that there's tons of references that come up. And why does that matter? That matters because 
most of us do our due diligence before we hire someone to solve a problem. If you're going to do remodeling in your house, you're going to check Angie's list or Yelp to make sure that there's only favorable reviews for the guy that's swinging the hammer. Same thing with professional service providers. What are people saying about your name. Well, if your name comes up and you are a guest on all these hot to trot podcasts, your thought leadership is preceding you. And that gives people that are thinking about finding a solution to their problem a little bit more confidence that you could very well be the person that they need to solve their problem because you're having these long form conversations with influential hosts. And then to your point about having your own show versus being a guest, I think it's great if you can do both. But what I say to my clients is, guest a lot first to make sure that you love it, that it's fruitful, that it's productive, and parlay your beautiful presentation, your conversation skills into the benefit of tapping into audiences that already exist. Because if you have your own podcast, you're usually starting from zero and nobody's listening. So you could have the most wonderful conversation, but nobody's hearing it. So right on the coattails of shows that are already well-established and your star can rise a lot faster. And then when you do start your own show, you can remember all the people that you guessed it for. And if it's relevant and it makes sense for the mission of your show, you can invite them to your show and I'm sure they'll be happy to comply. I just love podcasting and all things podcasting. Well, awesome. Why do, well, why do you love it? Like you said, the searchability and the exposure, other audiences, if you're a guest, but even if you're a host of your own show, just making connections like we're connecting right now, meeting interesting people, hearing stories, learning from that. Sometimes it almost feels like a one-on-one consultation in a way. And it's just encouraging, like for my case, when I hear of other entrepreneurs who started with a hundred bucks or maybe they were in debt and then they bootstrapped to seven figures and so many reasons. Well, very good. Well, awesome. Well, I really appreciate your time today. And I know people can find you at getknowngetpaid.com, which I love that website title. I actually lead a group called the Raise Your Voice, Make Your Impact Facebook group. And every Monday I go live and share something to help advance the learn more, earn more conversation. Sometimes I bring on amazing guests that can contribute to that. Sometimes it's a solo show, but we are a group of over 2000 experts, authors, speakers, and consultants and podcast guests that connect and lift each other up as we climb. So if if you've loved this show and you've enjoyed what I've brought forth for it, go to getknowngetpaid.com forward slash group. Just answer the three simple questions and come on in. The water's fine and we'll continue the conversation there. I would so love that. Oh, that's awesome. I'll have to join that group. I would be thrilled if you did. And then I'm also going to have show notes with links to various things we've talked about at thesarahstjohn.com forward slash Nancy. And yeah, I was going to ask if there was any last words or information that you wanted to present. Well, thank you. I want to say that visibility for entrepreneurs is not an option. It's an imperative. It's crucial. It's something that you have control over now if you just learn how to do it. When your star rises... Nothing but good is going to come from that when you set your intentions to be the business that is worthy of the spotlight. So if you're excited to do that, make a decision to get visible. That will make you easy to find, easy to refer, and easy to do business with. And the more you can hasten the path to those kinds of outcomes, the more you can smile all the way to the bank. Oh, I love that. Well, thank you so much again for your time. 
My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Be sure to grab your free copy of my list of 27 tools, resources, and software programs I use to run my businesses on a tight budget. You can get it at thesarahstjohn.com forward slash 27 tools. That's T-H-E-S-A-R-A-H-S-T-J-O-H-N dot com forward slash 27 tools. Are you a frugalpreneur looking to connect with like-minded individuals? Join our community on Slack, connect with fellow listeners, share your thoughts on episodes, engage in meaningful discussions, including money-saving tips and entrepreneurial insights, and help shape the future of the Frugalpreneur podcast. Plus, you can submit your questions in written or audio form to be featured on the show. Let's build a supportive space together. Join us now at frugal.show forward slash slack. See you on the inside.